Well, for those of you who didn't know, today is the last day of a Jewish holiday, actually a biblical holiday, called Sukkot, or the Festival or Feast of Tabernacles. And what I would like to do is, in the next few minutes, just share with you some insights that I believe can help us right here, right now, um, in our journey or our walk with the Lord. But before I get into my message, I need to tell you a story about Stuart's family. And he doesn't know I'm going to do this, so he can look really shocked. My family did not play cards, nor dominoes, nor any such thing. Some of you grew up in families like that. Stewart's family played a game called 42. Now, in the playing of 42, several of you are saying, yes, I know that game. In the playing of 42, Stewart's mom often did not have the winning hand. And she would look at her hand, and she would look at what's going on, and she would say, so many ways to go. Now, some of you understand that. There are so many ways to go, and not all of those ways look like a win for you. This morning, as I start this message, I can repeat with Stuart's mom, there are so many ways to go with this message, but all of these ways are wins. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to bear with me. You're going to feel for just a few minutes like you're in a seminary class, but stay awake because if you'll stay awake, I believe that God will speak to you and give you some insight that will help you to navigate your way through the days ahead. I'm going to read for you four passages of Scripture. All four are referenced as a part of the Feast of Tabernacles. The first one is Leviticus chapter 23, verses 33 through 36, and then 41 through 43. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, and for seven days is the Feast of Booths, or Sukkot, to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly, and you shall not do any ordinary work. You shall celebrate it as a feast unto the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statue forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in Sukkot, which means tents or booths, for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in Sukkot, that you and your generations may know that I made the people of Israel to dwell in Sukkot or tents when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 12 through 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. You shall keep the feast of Sukkot seven days when you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your wine press. You shall rejoice in your feast, you, your sons and your daughters, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow who are within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast of the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you will be altogether joyful. Then in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, verses 8 and 9, and verse 16. 
before I read it, did you guys know that the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot is indicated in scripture as being the only one of the feasts that will be kept even in the reign of Christ. And that's what Zechariah points to on that day. His feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. On that day, living waters shall flow out of Jerusalem, half of them to the Eastern Sea or the Dead Sea, and half of them to the Western Sea, which is the Mediterranean. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. And on that day, the Lord will be one and his name one, and everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of Sukkot. And finally, John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, Sukkot, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Father, it is in the great name of the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords that we come boldly to your throne of grace this morning. And we ask you, my Father, that you would open up our ears to hear what you would speak to us by your Spirit this morning. And Father, not just hear your word, we ask you to tenderize our heart that we might be able to receive and respond to your word. But Father, most important of all, that we would leave this house today and we would be doers of your word, men and women who walk out the truth of who you are. I guess what we're really saying, Jesus, is let your kingdom come in our time together and let your will be done. For it is in the great name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. You learn a lot about a person by taking a long road trip with them. Oh, yes, you know. When Stuart and I first got married, and baby, I am so sorry for throwing you under the bus today. When Stuart and I first got married, we decided that we were going to take a road trip from Fort Worth to Alabama to visit my family. Now, this is visiting the family where before Stuart married me, my dad said to him, you know she has a temper and a weapon. And then my brother informed him that I could sprout horns and grow a tail. Now, he has since learned that none of that is true and that I am just an absolute delight. <laughs> yes, amen. We decided that we were going to take a road trip from Fort Worth, Texas to Huntsville, Alabama. That road trip, when I drive it, can be done in ten and a half hours with one stop. Because I am a goal-driven individual. I want to know when are we going to start, and if I made it in ten and a half hours last time, can we make it in ten hours and twenty minutes the next time? 
because that's just the way I think and that is the way I drive. I discovered that Stuart is not that goal-oriented. He wants to stop at every historical marker that he finds. There is a need to stop and sit down and have breakfast and lunch and dinner and bathroom breaks in the middle. We learned that I do not like to stop and ask for directions. I am from a strong family to where we don't need directions nor maps nor GPS. We are going to get there and if we make a few mistakes along the way, then we will learn something from it. Stuart, who is much smarter, has GPS and maps and will systematically stop and make sure that we are going in the right direction. Also discovered on the journey that our taste in music is quite different. <laughs> Stuart has every musical release that Maranatha ever produced. I, on the other hand, like Evan Essence, Third Day, and a variety of other groups. He even looked at me one time during the trip and said, are you even saved? <laughs> We learn a lot about each other on the journey. We learn a lot about each other on those closed-in road trip moments. And the Feast of Sukkot, more than anything else, is about the journey. It's about God delivering from Egypt and getting into the Promised Land, but Sukkot focuses on that moment of the in-between. There has never been a moment in my lifetime where we have globally been so aware of just how fragile the things of time are. With a global pandemic, with military, economic, political, and moral chaos, not just in this country, but globally, many of us are becoming increasingly aware of just how temporary life is. And we are in a moment where I believe God is inviting us to become increasingly aware, not of the temporalness of time, but of the intensity of eternity and how forever eternity really is. Sukkot is a reminder to all of us that God is not temporary and the kingdom of God is not fragile. The kingdoms of men can be shaken. The kingdoms within my own heart can be shaken, but the kingdom of God cannot, will not be shaken. So let's look at Sukkot for just a moment. In the pages of scripture, there are seven biblical feasts that are given. Three of them are in the spring, one's kind of in between, and three in the fall. The three spring festivals are going to be Passover, which reminds us of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he became our Passover lamb. Then unleavened bread, which reminds us of the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then first fruits, which reminds us of his resurrection. These three feasts have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Between the spring and the fall feast, 
is Pentecost. And Pentecost reminds us of the coming of the blessed Holy Spirit. We know from Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit has come. And can I tell you, not only from Acts chapter 2, but from our individual lives who have been filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, surely the Holy Spirit has coming. And he is coming. And he's going to keep on coming to us. But these three feasts of the fall, I believe they were fulfilled historically in certain ways, but I believe that as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we look forward because there's an ultimate fulfillment for these feasts that we've not yet seen. It starts in the fall with Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets. This reminds us of the return of the Lord. Because you see, when a trumpet sounds, it's to gather the people of God, typically. And we're told in the book of Thessalonians that with the sound of the trumpet, Jesus is going to return and he's going to collect or gather his people. In case you didn't know it, Jesus is coming back again. I don't know when. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I just know he's coming and I'm going. And then recently, we've celebrated Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. This reminds us that a time of judgment is coming. For those of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be judged righteous because of what Jesus has done for us. Hallelujah. But for those who have rejected the Lordship of Jesus Christ, for those who have refused to bow their knee and to lift up their voice and to declare to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord, there is a judgment called the white throne judgment. And I believe the Day of Atonement speaks futuristically of that moment. And then the festival I want us to speak of today, Sukkot, or the festival or feast of tabernacles. This is the time when the people of God would come together and it was all about thanksgiving and celebration. I did not share my notes this morning with Pastor Dan. Brent had no idea what this message was about today. But I can tell you that we started it off right because Sukkot or Tabernacles is all about celebrating and experiencing great joy in the presence of the Lord. Each of these feasts were rooted in historical events for Israel. They have real-time meaning for believers. That's us right now. And then there's going to be an ultimate fulfillment of these. But again, our attention today is on the Feast of Sukkot. Sukkot is a week-long holiday that comes five days after Yom Kippur. It celebrates the gathering of the harvest and commemorates the protection and the provision of God while the children of Israel experienced their 40 years of wandering in the, we- in the desert or the wilderness. Sukkot is celebrated, if you were Jewish, you would celebrate Sukkot by building a small tent or um, a booth. It would be constructed of, of pieces of wood with ferns or fronds thrown over the top of it. And for seven days, you would find time to go and sit in that booth for at least a few minutes. When the the temple was still present in ancient Israel, there would be 70 bulls offered and there would be water poured out on the altar. 
Along with Passover and Pentecost, Sukkot is one of three feasts of compulsion. This meant that if it was Passover, Pentecost, or Sukkot, you were required to travel all the way to Israel and to make it to the temple and there to celebrate. But what is the real purpose and what purpose can we find today for the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, we're told in the passages that are read for you, the primary reason for Sukkot is to remember. We sing that song that Tommy Walker wrote, we will remember, we will remember, we will remember what the Lord has done. We will remember over 250 times throughout the pages of scripture, God calls upon his people to remember. It is important for us to have moments of intentionally remembering. That's what communion is. When we come together and we partake of the Lord's table, it is a feast or it is a table of remembrance. We remember what the Lord has done for us. Sukkot is a time to remember. To remember, number one, where you came from. Take just a moment and remember where you were when Jesus found you. Whether you were six years old or 60 years old or somewhere in between, when Jesus found you and you remember that moment, you remember how lost you were. You remember how desperate you were for someone to come and take your sin away. You remember how hopeless you were in that moment and Jesus came and rescued you with salvation. But Israel remembered that they were once in Egypt that they were once in bondage, that they were once oppressed by a system that they could not overcome in and of themselves. Where did they come from? They came from a dark, difficult place, just like us. But not only were they to remember where they came from, they were to remember where they were in that moment, 40 years of wandering in a wilderness, 40 years of living somewhere between the bondage they were delivered from and the land that they were promised. Somewhere living in the in-between. While they were living in the wilderness for those 40 years, they did not build houses, they lived in tents. And therefore, the festival of tents or the festival of Sukkot. From the book of Genesis, we are told that Abraham pitched his tent, and built his altars. This is a strong reminder to every one of us that we are to build those things that have lasting value and fruit that remains for the kingdom of God. But with the things of time, we are to look at them and to hold them with an understanding that they are temporary. You may live in a beautiful home and drive the newest car and that's wonderful and God bless you and God be praised for that blessing in your life. But in the end, it all passes away because at best, it is just temporary. And so with Sukkot, we are reminded that there are some things that are permanent and some things that are temporary. The things that are permanent is our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The things that are permanent is his word. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word shall endure forever. The human soul is eternal. It is good for all of us 
at times to just think about, Father, am I investing myself, my time, my energy in that which will pass away, or am I investing myself in that which has eternal value, fruit that remains? We're told in Scripture that there are certain things that we build. We're told to build altars, places that memorialize our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that we build the Lord's house. Now, I know that Jesus said that upon this rock, I build my church. Jesus builds his church. But do you know this morning that you are helping to build his church with presence? We build the church by sharing Christ with the people around us and bringing people into the kingdom of God. We build the church by speaking life to those people around us. We're to build our family. We are to speak good things to our family, life and encouragement and peace and destiny to those people that occupy the same space as we do. We're to build up each other with encouragement. I say this often, I have never, in 40 years of ministry, I have never had anyone come to me and say, oh, I've just had too much encouragement this week. I just wish people would stop giving me this encouragement. No. You guys know as well as I do that the majority of us are dying for encouragement. We are starving to death for someone to see something that's good inside of us and to speak to it and to draw it forth. If we were to take that word encouragement from the Greek, it literally means to walk alongside of someone and to draw out of them what is good. And God calls us to be encouragers. We're told in the book of Jude that we are to build up our most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. We build up our faith. That is an action of intentionality on our part. And one of the ways that we build up our faith is to pray in the Spirit. We are to remember where we are. And we are to build the things that have eternal implication. And we are to hold those things that are temporary lightly. Sukkot is a reminder that we live in the in-between. That we, much like the ancient Israelites, we are on that pilgrimages between where God sets us free from our bondage and where we have not quite yet made it into the promised land. And we are in the middle. We are in the between. In between. One of my favorite Hebrew rabbis or Jewish rabbis is Rabbi David Wolpe. And when he wrote about Sukkot, he said this, Sukkot is a holiday of temporariness. Everything passes, everything changes. We live between the passing and the permanent. We are creatures of flesh and blood, but we are endowed with a spark of the eternal. We are temporary, but we are eternal. This body that we have is eternal and it will pass away, but there is something of the eternal in us and we will live forever because we belong to the Lord. When Israel left Egypt and made that trek of 40 years through the desert, it was a time of the in-between. Whether we want to admit it, whether we want to talk about it or not, we live in that in-between. We are on that journey. Our time in this world is a pilgrimage through a wilderness. 
It's a wandering of sorts. But we do not wander as those who do not know where they're going. We wander as those who know exactly where we're going. We have a destination, and his name is Jesus. During this in-between time, God's after something. If God just wanted us in heaven, if the destination were just a location called heaven, then as soon as we got born again, why doesn't he just zap us into his presence? It would cut out a lot of trouble for all of us. But instead, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus said, I I pray that you don't take them out of the world, but that you leave them in the world, but not of the world. It's like a ship on the ocean. A ship is on the water, but the water is not in the ship. That's a part of God's divine plan and structure for us, that we be in this world, but not of this world, that we might be light and salt to a people that need to know Jesus. Let me just give you some things that we learn in the wilderness. You see, it's in the wilderness that the people of God are formed, forged, and even born. If we do not go through the wilderness, then there will always be a lack of maturity, a lack of spiritual discipline and grit that we just will not have. Because it's as we walk through the wilderness with the Lord Jesus that the attitudes and the character of Christ is formed in us. It reminds us that in a day, God brought Israel out of Egypt. In one day, he brought them out. But it was in the context of a 40-year wilderness journey that God worked Egypt out of Israel. Because you see, in the wilderness, God's working the carnality out of us. And he's working holiness into us. It's in the wilderness that we learn to seek not just the hand of God, but the face of God. Far too often, especially within charismatic Pentecostal and neo-Pentecostal circles, we have become so experience-driven, so experience-oriented that we jump from one thing to the next. What's God going to do for me today? What's God going to do this time? And it's all about God performing One miracle, one thing after another. There isn't anything wrong with being excited and expectant because our God is a miracle-working God. And he is certainly able, and I believe more than willing, to minister in the supernatural to his sons and to his daughters. But we cannot forget that it is not just those experiential moments that God's still after something much deeper within us. In Screwtape Letters, Wormwood is having a conversation with his nephew. And he says to him, the most dangerous thing that we can expect from the patient, and the patient being this new Christian, is that if he's not feeling good about his walk with the enemy referring to God, if things aren't happening to him and he's not having some sort of emotional experience and he still chooses to walk with him, that is the most dangerous person of all. I believe that holds so true for us. If we are just walking with God from experience to experience, there is a shallowness about that and we are setting ourselves up for a big 
fall. God's looking for sons and daughters that will follow him no matter what. I have decided to follow Jesus. The emotions and the experiences, yes, they come, but yes, they go. But what's left at the end of the day is the commitment that we have to the Lord Jesus. I have decided to follow him no matter what. It's in the wilderness that the old, the rebellion, the unbelief, the stubbornness begins to die out in our hearts and faith and trust and obedience are born in its place. It's in the wilderness that we learn to trust him. Do you know that it is impossible to be a man or a woman of faith without trusting the Lord? I often say, because I think in mathematical equations, I often say that trust plus obedience equals faith. If you've got faith, then there's trust and there's obedience. And if you trust him and obey him, then those actions alone generate or prescribe faith in our lives and in our hearts. And it's in the wilderness that we learn to trust him. It's in the wilderness that we discover that even when we do not know what he's doing, and even when we do not know why he's doing it, we can always know who he is. In this last season, I have looked around on multiple occasions. The losses at times have been absolutely overwhelming. And there's been times I've looked around and I've cried out, not just within, but sometimes I would verbally cry out and say, God, what are you doing? And then it would closely be followed with, why are you doing this? Why are you letting, why that one? God, what are you doing and why are you doing this? If you've never asked those questions, keep breathing in and keep breathing out because there will be some things that happen in your life that will generate questions just like that. And the Lord has dropped in my heart Exodus chapter 34, verses six and seven, where God's speaking to Moses and God's about to show Moses his glory and God says to Moses, this is who I am. See, I may not know what God's doing. Rarely ever will I know why he's doing it. But this is what I can always know. I can always know that God is compassionate. No matter what the circumstances and situations look like, no matter how painful they are, God is a compassionate God. God is gracious. Even when I don't feel like it, even when I don't want to accept it and receive it, he is still gracious. God is always slow to anger. And my life is proof of that. God is always kind. Even though his actions in my humanity do not often feel like they are kind, he is still kind and he is truthful. There is no lie in him. And he is a God who is filled with truth and is the essence of truth itself. He is faithful. Even when my world blows up and things look like they're falling apart and some things are falling apart, he remains faithful. And when I am faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. He is forgiving. And again, my life is evidence of that for he must forgive me hundreds of times every day when I ask him. 
and he is just. We may never get justice on this side of eternity, but I want you to know this. You can breathe in and you can breathe out because there is a righteous judge. And at some point, if not in time, then in eternity, he will show his justice. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Someone here is trying to get justice for yourself. You're trying to get justice for your circumstance or your situation. You will drive yourself insane. You will become bitter and full of offenses if you keep after that. At some point, you have to come to that place and say, Father, I surrender this to you, the righteous judge, because you are the just one. We may not always know what he's doing. We may not always know why he's doing it, but we can always know who he is. In the wilderness, we learn to lean. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 5. Shulamite's had herself a time. She has rejected him, and he has walked away from her, and she's gone running after the one whom her soul loves. She's not accepted in the city any longer, so she runs out to the wilderness. And Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 5, says these beautiful words. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem, look, who is this coming out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Because in the wilderness, we learn to lean on him. The festival of Sukkot, a reminder of that wilderness journey, that wilderness wandering. A reminder that in that period of going through the wilderness, that God is present. We do not go through this wilderness of time alone. He never leaves us and he never forsakes us. Also with his presence, there is protection. Old Testament Israel knew it as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night but they were protected, and church, so are we, because we are under the shelter of his wings. They knew his provision through the manna that came and water that came out of a rock. God provides for us, and we are fed spiritually on his word. The rest of the world can be in a famine, but the church ought to be filled with bread from heaven and quick to offer it to those who are hungry. Within every human heart, there's a desire for home. And Sukkot reminds us of that. Sukkot reminds us that where we are is not the real destination. It reminds us that we are in this place of temporariness and that we are all headed home. When I mention the word home, it conjures up all kinds of images and sensations in my own mind and heart. On a real surface level, when I think of home, I think of that space that I occupy with my husband and our two fur babies, Jacob and Levi. I think of familiar pieces of furniture, and I think of, I think of the food that we cook and the coffee that we make every morning. I associate it with those things, but on a deeper level, when I think of home, I go back to the home of my childhood. And I associate it, of all things, with smells. My mom made bacon almost every morning. And when I think of home, I smell bacon. 
and she had coffee every morning and I can smell the coffee. So I associate on a much deeper level the home of my childhood. That home doesn't exist anymore. My mom and my dad have stepped out of time and they're in eternity with Jesus and yet there's still this longing within my heart for that place we call home. And I think if I were to talk to every one of you individually this morning, we could probably get down to a bare essence that there's something written on our human DNA that cries for that place called home. And we know that our home, much like, much like the Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 11, verse 8, there was Abraham who sought for a city whose builder and architect was God. We are looking for something that we won't find on earth and we are hungry and we are longing for that the word romance I love words my husband said I never met one I didn't like the word romance comes from the idea it was born in about the first century AD Roman soldiers were conscripted to serve in the Roman army for 20 years and if they served for 20 years, then they would be given a piece of land and a wage if they made it back home. Now, knowing the Roman army and the history of the Roman Empire, most of those soldiers didn't make it home. At night, they would sit in foreign lands, fighting armies that they weren't even sure how to identify, and they would talk about Rome. And so the word romance simply means Rome again and they would have a longing to go back home because they were in a foreign place. It is in our heart that we long for a place that we have not seen. We long for a home that we've never even stepped into. And we want to go to that place. I can tell you that prayer and worship are two of the only activities that we can engage in that will give us a foretaste of what that home is going to really be like. We all want to go home. Sukkot is a clear reminder that even though we are in this world, we are not of this world. And the things that we seek, the deepest level of our heart, the things that we long for cannot be found in this world, but only in the person of Jesus Christ. Even in the in-between, we can have a relationship with Jesus that allows us to get glimpses of home. In John chapter 7, already read for you, Jesus invited the thirsty to come. And then he declared the coming of the Holy Spirit in such a way that this living water could flow out of us. This Sukkot, this time of the Festival of Tabernacles, while we are in the wilderness of the in-between, just remember that we are not left without presence, protection, and provision of a mighty God. I really think that when Mr. Newton wrote Amazing Grace, he just might have had this in mind. Let me close with these words. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. And this one reminds me of the in-between most of all. Through many dangers, toils and snares, 
I have already come. Tis grace that has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. When we've been there for 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Sukkot, a reminder to all of us that we are in a place of wilderness, that God is forging us, teaching us, and training us, that we may not know what he's doing, we may not know why he's doing it, but we can always know who he is. A reminder that we are not alone and that his presence is always with us. A reminder that he provides and protects those who are his. This morning, I want to ask you if you would, and if you're able, would you stand with me? Because I think that we just need to offer thanks to the Lord that he has brought us safe thus far, and he's going to take us home. Some of you need to be reminded this morning that you are not on this journey by yourself. So Father, in the great name of Jesus, Father, we ask that you let those rivers of living water flow to us and through us. We ask this morning, my Father, as we walk through the wilderness, that we make it a place of springs for the people around us, for the honor and glory of Jesus' name. And Father, by our own confession, we say that we oftentimes do not know what you're doing. We do not understand why you're doing it. But we do know who you are. And we celebrate that this morning. And we are thankful this morning, my Father, that we are not alone, but you are with us. And so we honor you and give you praise this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.